Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope Christian Center. Forgive me, I spilt a little water on my shirt right here. Pretend you don't see that. Uh, good to be here in the house of the Lord. Um, I want to say that we had a wonderful seminar Saturday yesterday. I was uh, very encouraged, informed, and blessed by each and every one of the seminars. And uh, can't wait till we get those live. Uh, we're going to put them up on YouTube and Facebook and uh it's going to be a powerful resource for our community, and I know that everyone who attended the seminars, and it was a long day. It started at uh, 10 a.m. and didn't end until 7 p.m., and in the middle of it, uh, we had a break, but during that break, I was uh, thankful to attend the Art Alive Movements seminar with Jane Elliott, and uh, that was extremely, extremely powerful. Uh, so uh, I believe we are rolling with our summer uh, Let Justice Flow initiative. Uh, we're definitely learning a lot and we're definitely adding some perspective. And uh, I believe that as we uh, continue to push in these directions, um, it's going to become clear to us that uh, what has happened with this pandemic has not been merely an interruption, but a disruption. I spoke uh, a couple of months ago with a uh, consultant, a church consultant, and he, he's a church growth consultant. And I asked him uh, about the possibility of seeing uh, a breakthrough at Living Hope and seeing God do a new thing. And actually, we spoke in December last year. And uh, I said, you know, we've always had a vision for reaching masses of people, but we've never been able to see that vision become a reality. Uh, what needs to happen in order for us to break through? We seem to kind of hit this 300 barrier over and over again, and, and we, we kind of bounce on that, that barrier. We hit resistance there. And he said, uh, there's no way to break through without disruption. There's got to be sizable disruption in order for there to be breakthrough. Oftentimes, the things that we experience as interruption, God intends to be disruption. And the difference between interruption and disruption is that interruption stops you on a particular path momentarily, and then you continue down the same path you were going. But disruption actually changes your direction and changes your trajectory and moves you into a radically different path. I, I was thinking of the prophet that the Lord sent to give a word to Israel, but he told the prophet, don't go back the same way you came, meaning this is not a word of interruption, it's a word of disruption. And in order to hear that word and respond to it properly, you're going to have to move into a different direction. I was thinking also of John, uh, the Apostle John, when he receives the revelation on the island of Patmos where he was uh, because of the testimony of Jesus, he said, I heard a voice behind me like the sound of a trumpet, and I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. It was not an interruption that, that was happening in front of him that simply bade him to continue to move in the same direction he was going. It was a disruption that required him to turn. And right now, we are in the midst of a season in which God is not interrupting us, he is disrupting us. He is not simply putting us on pause. And so if we are expecting at the end of this pandemic to go back to business as usual and to continue moving in the same direction we were moving, doing the same things we were doing, if we think we're going back to the old normal, we have completely misunderstood the word of the Lord to us in this season. God is not interrupting us. God is disrupting us. And the question is, are we willing to actually stop in our tracks and turn to hear the voice that speaks to us? Now that word to turn actually comes from the Hebrew shuv, and it literally means to repent. To repent means 
to turn. And the kind of repentance that God is looking for from us, both as a nation and us as the body of Christ and us as Living Hope Christian Center, is whether or not we're willing to turn in the direction of the word of the Lord, or do we love our old normal so much and our status quo so much that we fight tooth and nail to recover our old normal, our old status quo, getting back to the way things were. God is requiring us to prioritize turning towards his word above returning to our old normal. And I think that is incredibly poignant for where we are as the body of Christ today. I want to talk to you uh, this morning a little bit about, um, I want to talk to you about righteousness and justice. Now, um, as we begin our discussion, I, I want to uh, talk about the slave Bible. Uh, if you go to Washington, D.C. and you go to the, the uh, museum that they have uh, to commemorate slavery and its legacy in America, uh, you find there what's called the Slave Bible. Now, the Slave Bible uh, was the Bible that they gave to the slaves, the Bible that they taught to the slaves. And this particular Bible is interesting because this particular Bible was created to execute the will and agenda of white supremacy. What they did in this Bible is that they went through it and removed everything that spoke of liberty, that spoke of freedom. From the Old Testament, they removed things like the year of Jubilee, uh, the laws in the Old Testament that were designed to see to it that, that debt and poverty could never be generational realities in Israel that every seven years all of the debts were removed and uh, how you were to treat a foreigner and even laws for enslavement and releasing your slaves at a particular time, how enslavement and debt and poverty were never intended to be generational realities. Everything from the New Testament that talked about the liberty by which Christ sets us free and the freedom that we have in Christ, and he whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. The words freedom and liberty were all removed from that Bible, and instead what was emphasized was every verse of Scripture that speaks about obedience, submission, slaves obey your masters. Uh, all of these verses were emphasized to the detriment of the verses that spoke of freedom, and this was a translation of the Bible that was designed to execute the will of white supremacy. Uh, now, there was a guy uh, around the end of the first century AD named Martian, and uh, Martian, he made a similar move. Martian argued that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are two different gods. And so what Martian did was he went through his Bible, and first of all, he threw away the Old Testament because he said the God of the Old Testament, he was angry. He, he needed some therapy. Uh, he was just a gangster who would just like to kill people. But the God of the New Testament, he was a God of love and a God of compassion and a God of mercy. And so he could not reconcile the anger and wrath of the God of the Old Testament with the love and grace and mercy of the God of the New Testament. And so he surmised that they were two different gods. He threw away the Old Testament. He went through the, the New Testament and removed everything that spoke of the God of the Old Testament, every quotation from the Old Testament and everything that spoke of that God. He removed it and um, he had his Bible and um, that Bible did away with the Old Testament God. What I'd like to propose to you today is that there is a sense, a degree to which we are still reading 
from a slave Bible and from a Martianite Bible. Now, first and foremost, I wish to say to you that I do not say this to diminish your confidence in the Bible that we have. I, I say this carefully because I do not wish to be misinterpreted as to suggest that if you have faith in the Jesus who is spoken of in the translation of the Bible that you have in front of you, that that faith is vain. I do not mean that in any way, shape, or form. However, there are certain ways in which the translations of the Bible available to us in English today have continued to execute the will of white supremacy in ways that may not be readily accessible to us. First of all, let's talk about this concept of righteousness and justice. In the Old Testament, there's an emphasis upon both the righteousness and justice of God. But in the New Testament, it seems that the word justice has all but disappeared. Could it be that God is no longer concerned for justice, but only for social righteousness now? In other words, is God only concerned for individual righteousness and no longer concerned for justice now? Why is it that the term justice is all over the, the Old Testament, but it's almost nowhere to be found in the New Testament? Could it be that God is no longer interested in justice now, but he only cares about personal righteousness? Okay, I would like to demonstrate to you that this is completely wrong. In the Old Testament, there were two Hebrew terms, the term mishpat and the term tzedek, that described righteousness and justice as two aspects of his nature. And so there's the righteousness of God and there's the justice of God. And his righteousness is his mishpat and his justice is his tzedek. Okay, and these represented two aspects of his nature. However, there's a shift in the New Testament. What we find is that the righteousness and justice of God are so closely aligned with one another that the New Testament writers combine them into one word. And that one word incorporates both the righteousness and justice of God. Follow me on this. In the New Testament, the Greek term dikaiosune describes both God's righteousness and his justice as one unified aspect of his nature, which means that every time you see the word righteousness in the New Testament as translated a translation of the term dikaiosune, what you are actually seeing is not just righteousness, but righteousness and justice. Think of this, Matthew 6.33 this is a better translation. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and justice. And all these things shall be added to you. Now think about that. Think about if you understand the word justice to be inclusive in the Greek term dikaiosune here. You're not simply seeking his righteousness, but you're seeking his righteousness and justice. Justice. How about this one? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, for they shall be filled. Not just hungering for righteousness, we have a tendency to understand this verse. What we're supposed to hunger and thirst for is personal righteousness, being personally righteous. But instead, Jesus is actually saying that we're supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness 
and justice. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness and justice, for they shall be filled. How about this one? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34. Awake to righteousness and justice and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. We understand this only to be about awakening to the call to personal righteousness, to moral purity. But he says, awake to righteousness and justice, for some do not have the knowledge of God. And I'll give you just one more, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness and justice of God in him. Now, this is a needed corrective because without this emphasis upon the justice of God, we actually cannot fully understand the Old Testament scriptures at all. And matter of fact, all throughout the prophets, when you see that God is angry, and when you see he is promising the coming of his wrath, at the heart of that anger and at the heart of that coming wrath is almost never the loss of personal moral purity, but almost always the loss of social justice in Israel. And this, this is an incredibly important point for us as we look at Isaiah chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Look at this. I'm going to read this. God says, through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel, bring no, no more futile sacrifices. He says, your sacrifices are futile. Stop bringing them. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. So God is saying, I'm done with your meetings. I'm done with your conferences, your seminars, your worship services, your worship teams, the incense that you offer, the songs, the, the whole, you know, I'm, I'm done with it. Look at this, verse 14. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Literally, he's saying, I hate with my being, with the entirety of my being, I hate your new moons and your appointed feasts. God says, it, it's a stench in my nostrils. It just makes me sick to my stomach. I hate your worship services. He says, they, they are a trouble to me <clears throat> and I am weary of bearing them. This is, this, these are strong words from God. Look, let's go further. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. <laughs> so God is really upset. Israel must have been committing some of the worst sins that you can imagine, right? Which means they must have been sleeping around and committing fornication, idolatry, and, and uh, um, adultery. Or they must have been using profanity, right? The kind of the, the, the hierarchical sins that we have created in America, sexual sin is at the top of it, and profanity is close behind. But look at what makes God so angry here. Verse 16, wash your hands, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings, <clears throat> from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, and then he's going to tell you how. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. 
and plead for the widow. Literally, God is saying to Israel, here's what makes me sick about your worship services. You sing and you dance and you praise and you lift your hands and you speak in tongues and you, you've got all the instruments and you, have, you know how to put on a conference like it's nobody's business, but you don't seek justice. You don't rebuke the oppressor. You don't defend the fatherless and you don't plead for the widow. And because of that, I can't stand your worship services. Wow. How about another one here? Amos chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. God speaks the same thing through the prophet Amos, and our whole summer initiative is actually uh, based upon this passage of Scripture right here. God says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Verse 23, Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Let justice flow comes right here out of Amos chapter 5, verse 24. Literally, God is saying, before you sing a song, let justice flow. Before you clap your hands, let justice flow. Before you dance to the music, let justice flow. Before I hear a hallelujah, I want to see you let justice flow. You want to know how to let justice flow? Seek justice. Defend the orphan. Right? Plead for the widow. Rebuke the oppressor. Let justice flow. If you don't let justice flow, I don't want to hear your songs. Right? This is literally what Jesus is saying. Now, here's, here's the thing. And once again, we say, well, that's the Old Testament God. That was before the blood of Jesus Christ. But have you not read that the one time that Jesus got so pissed off that he started to destroy things and beat people. He took time to fashion a whip. Was not when he found people in adultery. Was not when he heard people using profanities. But when he came into the temple and he saw the money changers. And what does he say there? He fashions a whip, he flips over their tables, and he starts whipping, he starts beating people. And what does he say? It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Notice that what ticks Jesus off is not simply that there's commerce happening in the house of God, not simply that there's buying and selling happening in the house of God, not simply that there's industry and entrepreneurialism that's coupled with the house of God, but that there was thievery there. He looked there and didn't see just commerce. He saw the injustices. He saw the way in which the economy there was benefiting the rich and detrimenting the poor, that it was widening the gap between rich and poor, and he saw the injustice that was transpiring right there in the house of God and it burned him up. It ticked him off. He said, I can't stand this. It makes me 
sick to my stomach. And so there's been this strategy at play, and the strategy is the strategy of white supremacy. The strategy is to create in the American church a hierarchy of sins, and at the top of that hierarchy is sexual sins and profanity. There was a, a sermon uh, that was preached um, by Tony Campolo in which he stands before a crowd of believers in an evangelical church and he says, last night while you were asleep in your comfortable beds, 40,000 children starved to death and it was dead silent. And then he repeats it and says, last night while you were asleep in your comfortable beds, 40,000 children starved to death and it's dead silent. And then he repeats it a third time. Last night, while you were asleep in your comfortable beds, 40,000 children starved to death. And then he said, and you don't give a sh and says the S word. I'm not going to say it here, but he says S-H-I-T. And there's gasps. Oh my God. It's like one of those Grey Poupon commercials. Right? Where? What, what, no, what was that? What was that commercial? Would you please pass the jelly? <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, oh, and they all fall out. I mean, everybody's falling out. They're getting slain in the spirit. Oh my God! Somebody said the S word, and he said, "And do you know what's worse? Is that all of you are more appalled by the fact that I said the S word than you are appalled by the fact that last night while you were in your comfortable beds." 40,000 children starved to death. We're more appalled by profanity than we are appalled by injustice. And that makes God sick to his stomach. You know, I feel the heaviness in the atmosphere as I continue to talk about racism. It feels like I, last Sunday, actually, after the service, even though I knew that I delivered the word that God had given me to speak, I felt this heaviness in my spirit and I felt even a little depressed. And I had to go out to the golf course last Sunday afternoon and just hit some golf balls and kind of um, let my hair down and, 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 and try to come back and, and recover my joy because I felt this heaviness in the atmosphere and I, I felt like, Lord, are they done are they done? I, I could kind of feel this sense of, will you please get done talking about this so that we can get back to the old PB, to the old kind of messages that PB used to preach? Uh, can we get back to the revelation? And can we get back to the heavy Rebbe? And can we get back to the Shaba sauce and, and the stuff that we used to, it used to be our bread and butter. And I, I felt that heaviness and I said, Lord, the thing that I'm struggling with is my, in my heart is I feel like so many of them are done. So many of our own people are done and ready to move on but I'm just getting started. And I feel like you're just getting started. 
And I feel like the, the, the thing that's heavy on my heart is that we can't move on from this moment because this is the word of the Lord. And not just that this is the word of the Lord, but we do not realize that the injustices that have been committed on the soil of this nation, that they have been storing up wrath for a day of judgment in the heavens. And, and we're so used to not seeing that in the New Testament. We're so used to, to glossing over that in the New Testament that we don't be, even believe that that's real. We don't even believe that that's real and we don't even realize that we've become atheists to a certain degree. You see, last Sunday when I talked about the definition of racism and what it has to do with the gospel, I emphasized two things, that racism is a sin and that racism is a heresy. But today I want to add a third to that, that racism is a form of atheism. Because in order to condone the continuation of systemic racism in our nation, you have to have zero fear of God. You know, whenever the term reparations or restitution comes up, the responses that I typically hear and the responses that I typically get are, that's ridiculous. It would hurt our economy too bad. It would bank bankrupt us. And then who would get it? It's not pragmatic. And, and, you know, the concept of reparations, it's just ridiculous. How would we even determine who gets reparations or what? And all of those responses completely neglect the reality that what has happened on American soil, the injustices that have been committed on American soil, have happened under God. That we say in our Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. But if we truly believe that we are one nation under God, then we would fear him. If we truly believe that we are one nation under God, then we would not prioritize our economic well-being as a nation above our requirement and responsibility before God to do justice. That is, if we, if we were truly one nation under God, we would respond the way Zacchaeus responded in the presence of Jesus. With true repentance that was not simply an I'm sorry or an acknowledgement. But Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. Half of my wealth I give to the poor. And if I have wronged anyone, I restore it four times. He made a promise to Jesus, a commitment in the presence of Jesus that promised to personally bankrupt him. But he didn't care. Why? Because he was in the presence of the Lord. And he cared more about doing what was right than keeping what was his. We do not realize how deeply embedded racism is in the fabric of our nation. And most of us are not even willing to explore it. And the, the reason why I continue to drive this home is because I truly believe that we are on the cusp of a, of a move of God that's either going to destroy us or rebuild us. And how we respond to this issue as a nation is the determining factor. We are all free Methodists. And, uh, you know, some of us forgot that we joined the Free Methodist Church last year. It was a move that none of us expected, but it happened. And it was the leading of the Spirit of God. 
Our inheritance, actually, as free Methodists, do you realize that these are the values upon which our denomination was founded? You see, there was this guy named B.T. Roberts in the mid-1850s who was a free Methodist minister. He uh, was given, he was actually a very prolific preacher. He was given the pastorate of a flagship uh, free Methodist church. Uh, Actually, it wasn't free Methodist yet. It was uh, the Methodist Episcopal Church. He was given the pastorate of a flagship Methodist church in New York City. And when he went in, he saw that they had this system, this pay-per-pew system. Uh, Basically, uh, the rich people were able to buy seats, but then they had bleachers in the back for the poor. And the first thing he did was he abolished that pay seat system. He said, no, 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 this is unrighteousness. This is wrong. And the church threw him out. And he started to speak against this in the denomination. But secondly, he began to implore the members of his, of his denomination that we need to be active abolitionists. That it's not enough for us to believe in our hearts that slavery is wrong, but we must be active abolitionists. We must fight slavery with everything in our being. And they threw him out of the denomination for this. And so he began a new denomination in 1860 called the Free Methodist Church. It was founded upon seven major freedoms. The first freedom is the freedom to oppose slavery, to fight slavery. Second freedom is the freedom to come to church without having to pay for a pew. Third freedom is the freedom of women to do ministry as equals with men. Fourth freedom, freedom of the Holy Spirit in our services. Fifth freedom, freedom from tyrannical leadership, uh, ecclesiastical leadership over the church. Sixth freedom, freedom from secret societies like the Freemasons and others. And the seventh freedom, the freedom to pursue entire sanctification or holiness. These are the freedoms, but also the responsibility that we bear as free Methodists, that we must, it's not enough to be a non-racist in our hearts, we must be anti-racists. You see, at one of the seminars I attended yesterday by Marissa McCool called How to Begin Your Anti-Racist Journey, she actually gave us a quote from Angela Davis that said, in a racist society, it is not enough to be non-racist, you must be anti-racist. And as we talked about last week, the claim to be a non-racist is actually a self-exoneration technique. It's a tactic that says, it's not in me, it's not me, I'm not like that. I I saw a video uh, uh, the other day, a documentary in which a man uh, was able in the, I believe it was in the mid-60s, he interviewed one of the last living former slaves in America. And when he was talking to this man, he said to him, you know, I'm a different kind of white person. I believe we should give black people the right to vote. And I believe we should give black people the right to live in any neighborhood they want. He started talking about what he believed America should give to black people. And the man looked at him, the former slave looked at him and smiled. And he said to him, you think you're cured, but you still got the disease. He said, I was born a human being. And that means that I have every right that you have as a citizen of this country. You can't give me what I was born with. Now, you can fight to take from me what I deserve, what I was born with, but you can't give it to me any more than you can give me my humanity. You think you're cured, but you still got the disease. And he said that hit him in the heart. He was so offended at first, but the more he thought about what that man said, the more he realized that he was absolutely right. We must be anti-racist as a church not just non-racist. We must be anti-racist. 
and the commitment to be an anti-racist means that we confront racism wherever we see it. And when I find it in my own heart, I acknowledge it, I renounce it, I confront it, and I replace it with truth. And when I see it in the world, I confront it, and I call it what it is. That's what it means to be an anti-racist. The work of the anti-racist in the church today is equivalent to the work of the abolitionist in the 19th century and in the 18th century. In other words, it is not enough for us to believe what's right. Justice demands to be done. We must do justice. We must rebuke the oppressor. We must defend the fatherless. We must plead the cause of the widow. And I know we would rather come to church to hear a word that just stirs the soul and makes us feel good inside and go, ooh, amen, ooh, hallelujah, ooh, amen. That just made me, ooh, that gave me these goose-bumply bubblies and the, ooh, and I just feel my spirit is being enriched. We would love to simply come to church to be fed, 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 fed. We don't want to come to church to hear that we've got to do something. But this is the word of the Lord at this hour, that God's justice demands to be done. And he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness and justice of God in him. I want to tell you that God does not put at the top of his hierarchy of sin, sexual sin. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that sexual sin is okay. I'm not saying that sexual sin is not as bad as we thought it was. I'm not saying that we should start condoning sexual sin in any way, shape, or form. Nor am I saying that profanity is okay and that we should start condoning profanity. But I am saying that racism and systemic oppression against people of color in this country for the last 400 plus years is something that we have long condoned. We look back at certain historical figures and we go, yeah, they were a racist, but look at all of the good they did, which means we take racism and we put it down at the, the bottom of our hierarchy of sins. And because we've done that with historical figures, we also do that with contemporary figures. So that when we hear something overtly and unapologetically racist come out of someone's mouth, we can make excuses for them. We can cover that up. And that, my friends, is unrighteousness. And it's an affront to the righteousness of God. I just want you to know that we're just getting started. That what we haven't even figured out yet is the extent to which God has called us to do justice. I'm glad we're learning about it. But we're not going back to an old normal. And hear me say this clearly. We will never abandon what's at our core, which is a longing for a move of the Holy Spirit to see the power of God poured out, to see signs and wonders and mighty deeds. We will never abandon our core and our core conviction that there is no brokenness that cannot be mended in God's presence. We will never abandon our core desire for God to rend the heavens and come down, that the nations might quake and that the mountains might tremble at his presence. We will never abandon our core charismatic values and convictions that what the world needs is not church, but the living presence of a holy God. 
What we are simply doing is contextualizing our cry for a new anointing of the Holy Spirit. Contextualizing it according to the prophet Isaiah. I believe it's Isaiah 42 when, he, when, our, when God said, I will put my, my spirit upon my servant and he will bring justice to the nations. Lord, let your Holy Spirit come upon us to prophesy yes and to bring justice to the nations. Let the Spirit of God come upon us to, to, to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to cast out demons. Let the power of the Holy Spirit come. Lord, bring us your presence and your power and your glory and your love. All of it. We want to see, listen, if you are listening today, what I long for you more than anything else is that you would sense the power of God and the presence of God would rest upon you. What I long more for more than anything else is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know that God is real, if you've, if you've, it's because you've never experienced him. And, and what I want is for you to experience his presence and experience his power and experience his love. But the corrective that we're bringing today is that so many in our culture have turned away from the gospel because they're convinced that since the church doesn't care about justice, God must not care about justice. And I'm here to tell you that that's a lie and that that's wrong. I'm here to tell you that God cares about justice as much as he cares about righteousness. I'm here to tell you that his justice cannot sleep forever that he sees what is right and what is wrong. And he will make all things that have gone wrong, he will make them right. But I say this because my cry to you is that you would open your heart to this God who loves justice. This God for whom righteousness and justice is the foundation of his throne. That you would open your heart to him that you would receive him into your heart. I'm not talking about a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus that is the creation of this white supremacist ideology. I'm talking about the real Jesus. The Jesus of Nazareth who died on a cross for our sins. Why? He dies on the cross, not just to pay the price for your sin, but to bear your pain. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, but we esteemed him smitten by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the, chast that, the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But he has laid on him the iniquity of us all. My heart reaches out to you today to open your heart to this Jesus and to know in your soul that your cry for justice is not separate from your relationship with Jesus Christ. That you don't have to compartmentalize in your heart your cry for justice and your faith in Christ. But that this Jesus that I invite you to know today cares about justice more than you and I ever could because he paid for it in his own body on the cross. And if you have never opened your heart to him today, I invite you right now, I invite you right now to open your heart to him and let him come in. Let him heal you. Let him sew you up where you've been ripped apart. 
Let him dry the tears from your eyes. Let him bring you the peace that passes all understanding. And all you have to do to open your heart is pray this prayer with me, and I'm gonna invite you to pray it right now. Say, Lord Jesus, just say it out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. Come in and make me clean. I turn to you today. I turn away from my own way, from my own plan, and I surrender my life to you. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you paid the price for my sin on the cross and that you arose again from the dead. Wash me. Cleanse me. I repent of my sin. Make me clean in you. And I'll give you all the glory. In your holy name I pray. Amen. 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 Pastor Sonny, can you come down here? I'm going to invite my wife to come. We are so thankful for each and every one of you today. I believe that the Lord is here and that he's speaking to us today. Amen. Amen. You have anything to add to this, baby? Amen. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I just want us to uh, pray throughout this week that the Holy Spirit would just come in a greater way, in a, in a different way uh, that would, I guess, interrupt. Is that the word you use? Disrupt. Disrupt our normal uh, routine, even our times with God, even in our family life, that, you know, my hunger uh, these days is for God, the Holy Spirit, to disrupt our normal routine and just like lift our head up high so that we would see him, that we would hear him. And I think when we see him and hear him, uh, just learning to do right, learning to do justice, it doesn't come from our own personal striving. It's like, oh, I don't know what, to, oh, you, you know what I mean? When we walk close to God, you know, we care for what he, his heart cares for. And when we uh, encounter the Holy Spirit, I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like he's going to empower us and teach us and lead us to do justice, to seek uh, what is uh, right in this nation and um, yeah so let's ask the Holy Spirit to disrupt and uh, come meet with us and right like that's really really in my heart these days yep. yeah well we appreciate each and every one of you we're so proud of this house we're so proud of where we are as a church and where we're going mm. and I've got just more excitement in my heart about what God is doing among us and where he's taking us yes uh, than I've ever had before mm. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, I just want to be, I, I want to be cognizant of the fact mm. that when we lose our passion for the presence of God in the midst of our cry for justice, yeah. then we become 
we take on a Messiah complex. Yeah. That we I have do to it. do it by our own power. Yeah. But I'm sensing more of a passion for the presence of God than ever before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That at the end of the day, when we begin to cry for justice, we're crying for something that we could never accomplish by our own power. Yeah. But that God can accomplish by His power. Yeah. And so we lift up our eyes and we look to Him and we believe him to be the God of righteousness and justice mm. and the God who will accomplish it, the God who will fulfill it. Mm. And uh, we simply seek to be faithful, mm. to seek him with all of our hearts, mm. to hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, mm -hmm. believing the promise of Jesus that if we do, we will be filled. Amen. 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 May the blessing of the Lord rest upon you today. Mm. May the road rise to greet you. May the sun shine upon you. Mm. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you mm. and bring you peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you.